This is an AMI podcast. I'm Dave Brown, and this is a podcast version of AMI's Morning Show, now with Dave Brown. Catch the live broadcasts weekdays from 9 to 11 a.m. Eastern on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. It's a Monday edition of the show, which means we welcome back Canadian Press Weekend News Editor Michelle McQuig to discuss a few stories that emerged over the weekend. Hey, good morning, Michelle. Hello, Dave. So, Michelle, let's start with a story that relates to disability. Some numbers came out in regard to enrollment in autism therapy programs in Ontario. What do these numbers look like exactly? Well, uh, my colleague Allison Jones got some interesting figures here. So, Long-time listeners of the show will remember that autism services in Ontario have been a really hot-button issue for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) A serious political hot potato. Various administrations have grappled with this, none of which have been able to really land on a winning formula. Um, The Conservatives had a program all set up in 2019. It encountered waves of protests. They scrapped it. Uh, They set up a whole new system, and they were hoping to have about 8,000 kids enrolled in core therapies by the fall. So far, they have enrolled 888. That's the number that's come out. And they, and yet they still maintain that they're right on track to reach that 8,000 goal by the fall. They say mm-hmm. they expect enrollments to, to start growing exponentially, is the word they used, in the coming months, and that things are really on track. Uh, but certainly, they're only about 10% of the way to their current goal. Michelle, you mentioned the 2019 program that was largely going to be giving families cash for programs yeah. as opposed to necessarily offering programs. So, so I know some advocates have already said that created a bit of a distrust, but are there any theories on why these numbers may be so low, considering there are still some significant waiting lists out there? Well, that honestly is the primary theory, is that because that's the other issue too, is the, the numbers are quite low and there's also been limited uptake in, in the core services program that the, that the government is currently touting. And advocates are saying that that is the reason why, that the parents uh, who are primarily responsible for enrolling their kids in these things, these are programs aimed at children, it's worth noting, um, are, are very mistrustful of the government and don't expect that these programs will necessarily work or that the not that the therapies won't work per se, but that the government funding initiatives won't won't uh, come through the way they hope. What happened in 2019 is the context there was that the government was saying they were they were going to offer either families five thousand or twenty thousand dollars cash uh, to help pay for certain therapies based on a kid's age. Uh, when you consider that therapies can run upwards of $90,000, families were saying that the, the amounts being offered were nowhere near enough and that, uh, that those decisions should be based on need rather than age. Mm-hmm. So that was the sort of core issue at the heart of the revamp of the program that came through. And uh, this is why I think this has become such a, a fraught issue because we've mm-hmm. been, like I said, we've been through this, not just with this current administration, the previous liberal government also had a, a real struggle oh, yeah. with this file. Oh, for so, sure. Yeah. When, when, yeah. when this, when the finger pointing solely at the conservatives on this one, it's, it's not, it's not fair because there was, no, it's they, not. they inherited, yeah. they inherited a wait list of tens of thousands of people needing service. So uh, they, they, they did try to put a solution forward. It's just one that wasn't particularly good. I can think of for sure two premieres, possibly even three. I don't recall all the details of the McGinty era um, and how this file played out there, but this has definitely been a long, long standing issue spanning multiple governments. Mm-hmm. Michelle, let's move over to the federal public service and some concerns raised over language requirements. What are the concerns being raised here? 
Yeah. So my colleague Stephanie Taylor in Ottawa got her got her hands on an interesting memo through access to information laws. Uh, there's been some discussion going on. No actual movement here. So please don't ex- here, listen to this and think that any change is imminent here. But what's been happening is there's been a lot of discussion going on around language exemptions for public servants who already speak an Indigenous language. Uh, the push here is to exempt them from current rules, which stipulate that many public servants have to speak English and French. Certainly there are English, there's laws on the books that require federal services to be available in English and French. Um, they're saying that servants who speak an indigenous language should theoretically have a blanket exemption from having to learn French if they already have an indigenous language. Uh, the argument follows that there is value in having being able to offer services in indigenous languages, uh, that there's opportunities to train in French if you want to. And uh, this is the kind of conversation that's been happening now. And in fact, there were some recommendations along those lines that have come out, but there is no immediate plan to move on anything like this. That said, uh, the whole issue has gotten a lot more attention since the appointment of Mary Simon as the governor general. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of you might remember that she uh, <clears throat> speaks an Inuit language and English, but does not speak French. She attended a federal day school as a child where she was explicitly forbidden from learning French, even though she was growing up in Quebec. Um, so people are, are are seeing her case as an example of the kind of exemption that could and should be possible. Michelle, going beyond the exemption, I did see there were some talks about some other solutions being put forward. What what are some of what are some of the suggestions being made here? Uh, an interesting one that's been actually that has been formally floated as a recommendation to the government is to start. There's currently a, a, a small bonus available for people who do speak both languages. I think it's eight hundred dollars a year. And the one of the recommendations put forward right now is to extend that kind of bonus to people who speak an indigenous language, even if they don't speak French, uh, which would effectively uh, send a message of, of more equity in terms mm-hmm. of language recognition and, and the value placed on those languages. So that's one of the more concrete steps that's being recommended right now and, and probably the, the simplest one to uh, to unpack and, and mm. possibly to implement even. Michelle, let's finish on a story that emerged midday on Friday. TELUS has asked for authorization to charge fees to customers who pay their bill with a credit card. What's the argument they're making here? Well, there is some complexity to this one. And I have oh, to, yes. Oh, yes. I have to cop to this right here. You might know more about the background than me. There was a class action suit that was resolved in 2017 and the, the follow-up from it is only becoming clear now because it had to work its way through a bunch of regulatory approvals. Um, but this class action suit was setting limits on what fees banks and credit cards could charge. So this is where I don't have all the necessary background. I did not cover this lawsuit. I didn't even know this lawsuit existed until I read this story on Friday, to be completely honest with you. Um, but what's happened there is that now that companies and and credit card companies have a chance to recoup some of those costs. They are charging more for processing fees and companies like TELUS are now proposing that they're going to start charging a surcharge for using a credit card to make your payments. So -hmm. effectively you'd be paying to pay in a certain method. (laughs) In TELUS's case, um, you're looking, they're proposing a a 1.5%, I believe, surcharge. uh, If anyone wants to pay their bill off with a credit card, they're saying you can mitigate that cost that they calculate would amount to about two bucks a month. They're saying you could mitigate that if you chose to pay through a different method, like a direct online payment. 
um, or, or pre-authorized, pre-authorized yeah, exactly. bank accounts as well, that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. So methods other than a credit card payment, they're saying would, would allow you to sort of circumvent that potential surcharge. Uh, but because this lawsuit has been resolved now, uh, we are potentially going to have to see more companies going this route and implementing surcharges in order to process credit card payments. Yeah, as, as you point out, it's not uncommon for credit card companies to take a, a transactional percentage on any kind of deal they process. Um, Visa and MasterCard are a little bit lower, but companies like Amex, American Express, charge a little bit more. And it's starting to become a little more common to either have places not accept credit cards or off or hit you with these kind of surcharges. I know one of the mm-hmm. utilities that I pay every month, my hydro bill, if I want to use my credit card, I get hit with a surcharge on that one too. So this one isn't necessarily uncommon. It's certainly something that's emerging and becoming more common. Uh, This question is probably a bit predictable, Michelle, but how are people reacting to this news? I spent some time in the comment section with this and uh, people weren't pleased. You don't say, wow, Dave, I never saw that coming. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, I mean, people are, 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 uh, on principle, a lot of people fundamentally object to the notion of paying for paying. Uh, So the surcharge is, is not necessarily being very well received. Uh, it's interesting to see how it's going to go. And and one thing I should point out is that when people are doing this, there are now going to be rules that people have to follow. If there is going to be a surcharge, apparently it has to be clearly advertised and very clearly itemized on the receipt. So you should be able to track fairly easily whether or not you are paying a surcharge by using a credit card. Uh, But we're going to see this practice happening more yeah. often. So we'll see how well those rules actually get applied. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, on that one, for sure. Michelle, thank Michelle, you for this. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you on Friday for the news panel. Sounds good, Dave. Have a good week. You've been listening to now with Dave Brown, hit the subscribe button on any podcast platform and leave us a rating and a review. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.